Dear Lord, we do ask for your blessing here upon us as we hear your word. Speak to us powerfully at this time, we pray. Through Christ our Lord, we ask. Amen. Why is it that it appears, at least to me, that the world is increasingly hostile to our faith? Why is it that it appears to me that God's people do not grasp like they used to what it means to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? Mark chapter 5, beginning in the middle of verse 24. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about Jesus. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in a crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she had been healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated if you would. Grab your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 5. I have a theory about why it is, I think, at least partially it might partially explain, I don't want to overplay this, but I have a theory that might partially explain, at least in my own mind, why it is that the world seems increasingly dismissive, apathetic, or perhaps critical of the faith that I hold dear. I think that at least in part, it is because the world so vastly underestimates the reach, the power, and the intense impact of the gospel. The world underestimates the reach of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the intense impact of the gospel. And as God's people, we not only allow that, but we kind of enable that. I have a theory that at least partially explains, I think, why it is that uh, as believers, I live amongst a group of people that are not nearly as passionate about their faith as what is portrayed in the scriptures. The transforming work that God seems to do in these young disciples at the beginning of the church and the overwhelming emphasis that they have upon their faith that transformed the whole world. And yet I live among a people and I look in the mirror at somebody who doesn't seem to have that same passion and fervor. And I have a theory about at least partially why that might be because I'm afraid that we and me underestimate the power of the gospel, the reach of the gospel, and the intense impact of the gospel. We're used to thinking of the gospel as something that gives us the right 
set of requirements to live by, or it's something that we do on the Sunday morning, or it's something that is important to us because of end-of-life issues, you know, we want to go to heaven when we die, that kind of a thing. And I think we miss or minimize or limit the reach of the gospel, and consequently that vastly affects the way we live our lives as believers. And the world, following our limited example, misunderstands the intended scope of the gospel message, the reach of the gospel message. Mark won't allow us to do that when it comes to this story about the bleeding woman. As Mark relates this story, he does it in such a way that forces upon us, I think, a recognition that the gospel message is far deeper than what we tend to think about it. And that's because the suffering of this woman, the pain and the sinfulness of this woman runs so deep in her life, the effects of sin in her life run so deep that in order to embrace it, in order to understand it, Mark has to describe it so richly for us that we see a much more vibrant faith than what I think most of us are used to being confronted with each and every day, or much more willing to confront ourselves with each and every day. And consequently, the world sees uh, some people talking about a way to live a life or this thought process or that way of acting or something like that, and they miss that the gospel message holds the whole healing of the world. And we see this portrayed by this woman. The astute um, reader or listener will have picked up when Jerry read his passage that he read a couple of verses, then he skipped a section and read another section of verses. The really astute reader will have picked up that I read that middle section. Uh, this is something that we have talked about in the past. If you've been with us in the past, you know that Mark has this literary technique that he uses. He calls it the sandwich. Oh, I call it the sandwich. Uh, he doesn't call it the sandwich. Uh, I, I, uh, and uh, it's where he starts a story, then he moves to a different story, and then he comes back to the first story again, and the idea is that they're supposed to hold together. Well, we're going to be looking only at that middle section today, and so it's going to be up to you to hold that, in, uh, hold that story together with the healing of Jairus' daughter. Okay, Jairus' daughter raised from the dead as Jerry read that interplays exactly and intimately with the story in which we have here today, and I want you to see again this comprehensive scope of the gospel. And I want you to have it in your mind that if indeed you held that view of the gospel in your mind, would it not much more radically affect everything that you do? If the world saw this is what we were holding forward, would they not be much more impacted by the intensity of the gospel message, the way in which the scripture seemed to indicate is ahead for the world? as it confronts the gospel. Mark begins this section about the bleeding woman simply by once again drawing attention to the ironic nature of the kingdom that the crowd, there is a great crowd following Jesus. This is in verse 24. A great f crowd is thronging about Jesus. This is, um, is going to become important a little bit later in the story. They, they're bumping into, they're thronging about him. You really need to picture a, a b vast group of people that are moving around here. And normally in our minds, that sounds really good, but if you've been watching and reading in the book of Mark long enough, you realize that the crowd isn't always the good guys. It's not always great that there's this big crowd around Jesus. 
And indeed, here's a great story that is going to set off for us the crowd's response and a true believer's response. Both of these stories are going to indicate about this. So Jesus is moving in a crowd. Now, going back to the section that Jerry read for us, uh, Jairus has come and said, hey, I need you, Jesus, and he is dragging Jesus to help him with his daughter who is sick. But along the way, then you get this story in the middle about this bleeding woman. So there's a crowd kind of going with Jesus as Jairus is grabbing him, pulling him around, saying, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And verse 20, uh, in verse 25 there, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who'd suffered under the many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Uh, now, what John, Mark does here is Mark uh, pours forth the uh, participles. If you, if you can see this, this is a bunch of participles, uh, a figure of speech or a, a part of grammar that kind of moves the action along. It, it, there's a whole lot of things that are happening here, and he does this in such a way that you're supposed to tremendously sympathize with her. This is a woman that has a, probably a menstrual discharge here, a hemorrhage, for 12 years. For 12 years. And Mark wants you to realize the suffering that this woman has gone through. So he once, as he describes it, the, that she has had this problem, a discharge of blood for 12 years. Uh, the implication is that this has been a constant thing for her this discharge of blood for 12 years. She has suffered much under many physicians. Um, uh, those of us who are dealing with family members or whatever that are in the midst of medical crises know what it's like to feel the frustration of suffering much under many physicians. It's interesting that Luke, some of you know the gospel writer Luke, uh, was most likely a physician himself, when he tells the story, he tells the story slightly different. Uh, he doesn't make the uh, physicians sound uh, kind of uh, like they're not, like they're failing here. But here, it's certainly that she has suffered much under many physicians. She had spent all that she had. I don't think this is hyperbole on Mark's part. I think he's describing her physical state. She is in this great position of huge poverty. This sickness has not just affected her physically so dramatically, but it has affected her poverty. She is in poverty. She got no better, but rather grew worse. Not only this, but her hope has been sapped. Again, I don't know. I have not struggled with a physical issue for years. I have struggled with a couple of them for months at a time. And I can tell you how debilitating it is emotionally mentally, how physically wearing it is to deal with a physical ailment for a long stretch of time. And here this woman has been doing so for 12 years. And Mark wants you to sympathize greatly with this woman. This is interesting. This is another healing story similar to what Jesus has done with the leper earlier in chapter 2 and those kind of things. Uh, but Mark doesn't go out of his way to make you sympathize with the leper. He really does here with this woman. He wants you to see how, how powerful her suffering is for 12 years. Again, can you imagine the vitality, the life, the strength, the power that has been sapped 
um, by discharge of blood for 12 years, that she spent all of her money, that she went, did everything she possibly could to get healed, and that can, instead of getting better, she just consistently got worse over 12-year period. Now, the reason why Mark emphasizes this is because he's trying to highlight for us the phys- in a physical way the manifestation of brokenness that comes from living in a sinful world. This woman lives in a sinful world. She herself is a sinner before God. And there are physical outworkings of this sinfulness, this brokenness that she lives under. And it is extreme. And it is tremendous. And Mark wants us to appreciate the physical consequences of living in a sinful world. And when the church fails to hold forward to the world that there are physical consequences to living in this broken world, we limit our reach. We minimize the effect of the gospel message in people's minds. And when we as disciples fail to realize that there are physical consequences to the brokenness with which we are a part and live every day of our own lives, when we fail to recognize that, we fail to see the true reach and intense power of the gospel message. The physical consequences for this woman is extreme. But that's not all. As a matter of fact, that probably may not even be the most powerful thing. It's kind of shaded in here, but once I describe it, you'll recognize it in the text. This woman is suffering not just physically, but she is suffering immensely from a social standpoint. Now, this, is, this goes back to the idea that uh, in the Old Testament, in the Jewish law system, etc., that a woman who was bleeding like this would have been declared unclean. That is, that she would not, nah, this is not just a meaning that she's dirty or something like that. This would have been a religious declaration, that she would be unclean. That is, while this is going on, she's not able to come into God's presence in the temple, etc., etc. And so consequently, she had, was separated away from the temple from worship of the Lord. But that also entailed that she would, anything that she touched, anything that she touched would also become unclean. And because that was unclean, then it took seven days to ritually clean yourself before you could go before God again or into the woods. In other words, this woman, everything that she touched became unclean in society's eyes. You couldn't live in that society and be ritually unclean. So this woman would have been an outcast from society as surely as the leper was an outcast earlier. This woman is separated from all of her society. This means if, and if she was married, she would not have been able to be with her husband. She could not live at home. She could not be with her family. She could not touch anyone. I'm not 
a, a hugely touchy guy. I like a good handshake once in a while, and I, I, I will accept a hug. Uh, I like, like hugs, I guess, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, but I, I could go for some time without touching somebody, I suppose. Um, you know, 12 years without touching. 12 years. Now, this is a kind of a thing, too, that the reason for her being outcast would have been well known. This is not like leprosy that would have shown on her body, but everybody would have known why this woman was outcast. There is not just the social pain of being separated from your family, there would have been the emotional pain of being separated from your family, from everybody. There would have been immense shame that would have associated itself with this woman. Everywhere she went, she would have to stay away from everybody. She'd have to declare that she was unclean so nobody touched her. She had to announce to the world that this was something that she was dealing with each and every day. The social and emotional sense of pain and suffering that this woman went through is hard to articulate. But that's not all. Being unclean as she was, she could not go to the church. She couldn't go to temple. She couldn't worship God. Now, for a whole bunch of us, unfortunately, church is something that we kind of feel like we decide to do, and for many of us, we kind of come and go whenever we get the feeling, and the idea of not being in church for 12 years doesn't strike you as horrible because you could watch it online, or you could do your studies online, or you've got Bibles to look at. You've got to realize that none of those options were available for this woman. This woman is separated from the worship of her God for 12 years. I know some of you, because I know some of your stories, some of you have strayed away from the Lord for certain periods of your life and haven't been in worship for certain periods of time and stuff like that. And almost always when that story is recounted to me as your pastor, it is with a sense of lament and sorrow that is associated with it. This woman is physically kept from going to worship for 12 years. The impact of living in a sinful world for her was physical, social, emotional, emotional, spiritual. The impact of sin for her runs everywhere. And Mark wants you desperately to see that. Well, what happens then? Because of this great pain that she is under and suffering that she's under in verse 27. She heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. This is an act of faith. And we know it's an act of faith because Jesus, later in the passage itself, identifies it as an act of faith. Hey, this woman is acting in a manner that is expressing a faith that Jesus himself acknowledges and encourages later down the line. How wonderful and marvelous is that? But if you look at this action... Most of us would acknowledge that this is kind of a weird expression of faith. If I touch his cloak, that's magic. That's a superstition. That's 
not the way in which we think about our faith. It's not the way we're supposed to think about our faith. And indeed, that's not a really good faith. What's her, her interest here is to get something out of Jesus. She wants to get something for herself from Jesus. That's not the kind of faith that we encourage. It's not the kind of faith that we are supposed to grow into, but it is the kind of faith, small, broken, twisted, not very healthy-looking faith that nevertheless the Lord himself embraces. He embraces this woman even with this superstitious-laden faith that she's counting on some garment that he has on or touching his robe is somehow going to heal her. No, that's not real faith at all, but it is enough. It is that faith that God himself honors with this woman. How do we know that? Because in verse 29, immediately the flow of blood dried up. Wait, I want to go back and hit on something about her faith, though. Look back at verse 27 for a second. This is gospel faith. She heard about Jesus, she came to Jesus, and she touched him. She touched Jesus. That's a gospel faith, to hear about Jesus and then to come to Jesus, and then to act upon that presence of Jesus, to act out of what you have heard and what you have seen when you come to Jesus. In verse 29, immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she had been healed from her disease. So here you've got this immediacy. We've talked about this with Mark too. Everything happens with Mark really fast. She touches his garment, and immediately she is healed. She, uh, what she has purposed has been accomplished. Physically, she is whole. Verse 30, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Jesus is aware that somebody has touched him in such a way that has healed, that, where there has been healing. And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you. How can you say Somebody touch me. Okay, the pressing around you here. This is Jesus is being jostled. That's kind of the term. He's getting bumped and, and knocked off his course consistently as he's going. I think about, uh, I used to go to games a lot in Three Rivers Stadium, baseball games and stuff. And do you remember how you used to come down after the games? There'd be those long switchbacks that you'd have to go into. And people are bumping into you at all times and all, all places. One of the high points of my life happened during that time. A woman, as she was passing me by, grabbed my hiney and said, wow, that's really nice. And I thought, wow, okay. So being jostled in my, so this is the, being jostled, being bumped back and forth across the board here. This Jesus is being jostled back and forth. The crowd presses against him. The disciple touches him. The crowd bumps him, bumps into him, runs into him. But the disciple touches him and runs to him. How can you say, who touched me? Now, here's the thing. Jesus is God. I think that he knew exactly who touched him. He knew this woman touched him. So why does he stand there and say, who touched me? Who touched me? He calls her out publicly 
and makes her come. Look at what he, look at what happens here. He says, "Who touched me?" And he's basically standing there. I'm not moving until you fess up to this woman. And so she, knowing what had happened to her in verse 33, came with fear and trembling. She's fearful, she's trembling. She's well known in society as the woman who has a constant blood flow, who is unclean. And she comes, falls down at his feet, and tells him what? The whole truth. She admitted and said everything in his presence. Now, why does Jesus do this? I don't think he's being rude, I don't think he's being mean. When you come to Jesus, you come to real healing, true healing, complete healing. And that's what is provided for this woman. What is this woman? She is a social outcast. She is separated from everybody. She is uh, removed from society, and Jesus stands there and says, no, if you are healed with me, you are not just having the blood flow stop. You are healed completely and totally by me. And so there is a social component, that emotional component. He has her stand before everybody so he then can pronounce his verdict upon her. So he then can say what? Look in verse 30, uh, 34 there. 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed from your diseases. The only time that Jesus ever refers to anybody as daughter. He uses that term. Now what does he mean by that term? Standing in front of the whole crowd that knows this is a bleeding woman, unclean, that is fearful of her because of her status. He then calls her daughter. He provides, what does that do for her? It provides her reassurance. It provides her publicly with a standing before God. It provides her with a relationship, an intimacy. It provides her with the love that is characteristic of this. The way that this healing of the woman plays forward for us, we see her healed physically. She touches his garment. God heals her physically. But notice that it is her faith that has made her well in verse 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Not Jesus' garment, but who she had faith in. Jesus himself. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We've had peace flowed through these storylines. The peace that calms this lake, the peace that calms the demon-possessed man, and now the peace, the whole peace, that this woman is to walk away with. The healing matches the disease. The suffering of this woman is physical, it's social, it's emotional, it's spiritual. And the healing that Jesus provides is physical, social, emotional, and spiritual. And that's what we celebrate when we come to the table of our Lord.